Uh, Minoj, can I just make one recommendation? Can we have poo water in the cold open? <laughs> just, I just want to hear, I just want to hear the word poo water in our cold open. That's all. That's it. I'm not a complicated man. I just, I was gonna. This is such a weird episode. <laughs> the views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government, and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Seat 41A podcast. I'm Greg Taylor, and the last baseball game that I went to was in Kansas City, the Royals versus the Rays. And I'm a nose dreamer. The last baseball game I went to was the Colorado Rockies against my hometown, Atlanta Braves. And I'm Christopher Foote, and the last baseball game I went to was the Biloxi Shuckers. <laughs> All right, and we're here today talking about and we're here Everyone's here. Who the hell are the Biloxi Shuckers? <laughs> Sorry, Greg. I don't mean to interrupt your intro. No, it's, in, <laughs> it's intrigue. It's you know you got to keep them wanting. They're going to want to look into it. You know. So the burning question: Who are the Biloxi Shuckers? Uh, so I'm still trying to figure that out. Best answer I can give is a feeder team to the Milwaukee Brewers, and I feel like maybe you kind of set that up. <laughs> Ooh, brewers brew crew yeah. in the house that's right yeah okay all right everybody welcome to episode five of the seat 41a podcast we're here talking about the book all in by adrian gostick and chester elton how the best managers create a culture of belief and drive big results so this book is about managing teams and setting a culture and getting the most out of those teams from a performance standpoint that you can. And and the authors did a lot of research, partnered with a research group to define what are some of the practices and some of the behaviors of high-performing teams with strong cultures where people believe in the leaders and in the company's vision and, and values and goals. They're engaged, they're enabled and energized. And the book lays out a seven-step roadmap to building a strong culture. And the seven steps are to define your burning platform to create a customer focus, developing agility within your team, sharing everything as a leader, partnering with your talent, rooting for each other and establishing a culture of clear accountability. So my overall impressions of the book were that it was an entertaining read and was able to digest it uh, pretty well, but didn't learn anything particularly revolutionary reading the book. The, the anecdotes were informative and entertaining kind kept me going in the book but a lot of the recommendations that came out of it were things that seem pretty common sense you know easy to say harder to do but in the end you know i'm I'm glad that i read it and i think it's a worthwhile read especially for people just kind of getting out getting started in being a manager being a leader maybe you know like a younger cgo straight out of college getting put into that role might get a lot more out of it Manoj, what were your thoughts? So full disclosure to all our fans and y'all, I didn't actually finish the book. I know it's disheartening, but I do promise I will definitely get to it and finish it. But 
I have looked over some summaries and, and looked over the synopsis. And just based on that, I can tell it, it, that you're right. Some of it was, I guess, from our positions of where we've been in our career so far, uh, being flight commanders, being leaders immediately right off the bat, you know, when we start our careers as embassies, some of this stuff wasn't revolutionary, but th- sometimes these things are nice reminders once in a while to make sure we, we stay focused and we stay on the path that we need to stay on and not stray off. Um, I know I've definitely have strayed off from time to time and thinking like, hey, maybe some of this stuff is not working or you forget some of the stuff and you just have a moment where you kind of get off the beaten path and you just need to read something and go, wait, let's stick with the plan, stick with the ideas that have brought me here, that have groomed me, that have that are instilled in my morals and my characteristics. Let's get back on that same path and try to keep focus on what the actual goal is. And we do have clear set goals as the Air Force and MSCs when it comes to our specific jobs within the section we work in, but also in the clinic we work in and also the MAGCON that we work for. So having that reminder once in a while is nice to, to remember why we are put in the positions we're in and how to lead people again and get them re-engaged. That's, that's a great thought about using the book or using things like this as a tool for a refresher, right? We sometimes say, you know, one of the great things about going to PME is like a little uh, re-bluing, right? Is maybe this book provides some version of that, you know, from like a a managerial standpoint. And it helps then, you know, where I was mentioning that it's an easy read. If you're using it as a refresher, it's nice to be able to, you know, just pick up a chapter and you can look at it, you know, as a self-contained piece and just pick it up, read 10, 15 pages and then, and then put it back away and you can still get something out of it. Chris, how about you? All right. So I think I'm going to have to get the unpopular opinion out of the way up front and early. So I really, really, really enjoyed the book. And although maybe nothing wasn't like groundbreaking, I was sold on this book very early. And there was one line in particular that really just captured me. And so it it was um, the author quotes somebody that he was having a conversation with. And the person says to the author, okay, I get it. Culture is, an, is important. And I see what it looks like from all your findings. What I want to know is how do I do it? So I do what exactly? And that really, it kind of resonated with me a lot in that, you know, we can read all this stuff and it makes sense when we're reading it, but then actually applying it and putting it to action is a lot more challenging. And for me in a leadership position, right, one of the few things that I feel that we have control over and being in such a large organization that has recently seen a lot of change and dare I say frustration, uh, given a lot of those changes. Culture in our own sections is one thing that we can constantly control and can manage. And so uh, really taking the opportunity to read this book from that perspective was was very enjoyable for me. So I really uh, felt like I got a lot out of it uh, personally. That's great, Chris. I like that thought. I like the, what can you control? What can you work on within your sphere of influence? And I do know that you're, you're the type of person who really appreciates a list, a roadmap, a checklist of sorts to work off of, and not just, not just euphemisms and, you know, some hopes and dreams type stuff. Man, it's funny you say that because today I was, I was literally, I found a just a basic template in Access and it's just a task checklist. Now, I know that this can be accomplished through Outlook, but for whatever reason, I favor this Access database now. 
but I, I went through and started converting all of my notes to this access database checklist. And I was like, I've reached peak MSC. <laughs> like this, this is one of the most MSC things I've done in my entire career. So yeah, I think if you start using access, yeah, you you're you're at another level of MSC. That is just one program that nobody if nobody even knows about it, nobody definitely uses it. So. I'm the consumer of a couple of access products, you know, I didn't develop them, but, but I use them as, as, as resources and it's definitely aspirational. I look at it, wow, I really wish that I could put something like this together. And it's just a matter of really dedicating the time from what I've, I've been told, but I just haven't done it. Full disclosure. It was a template. I did not write any of it. I made minor changes, like just adding into the new fields, which honestly, I believe anybody could do you know, it's right click change properties, but it was completely a template. I'm not well-versed in access at all. It's like you're Thanos and just you finally got the last infinity stone of all the office products. So good for you. Well, it maybe it was the, we updated to the med 365 apps, like the M365 apps. So we're, <laughs> we're at least some of the folks in, in at our location are on them. I was one of them that was an early adopter, but it's great. I love it. It works well. So a little plug out there for all the CIOs that are reluctant to migrate your Office 365 app. Super easy and a great user experience. All right. I'm going to shut up about that. All right. So I'll throw a question your way, Chris. You know, the authors talked about what the employees need to, they need to be energized, enabled, and engaged in the workplace. And what the authors talk about is, you know, that any any one of those being lacking or, you know, even to the negative side can really destroy uh, a culture. So from the AFMS perspective, you know, do you have thoughts on engage and enable and energize? Which ones do we struggle with the most? That is a, a fantastic question. And I, I can't say that I put a lot of thought into the perspective, like the the bigger AFMS perspective. I've not worked in a staff job, so it's kind of hard for me to see it at that level. I think that I've seen some consistencies across locations as we've PCS'd. And I think for me, anyways, engagement is probably the big one. And I think the main reason for engagement is that in there, he talks about providing a link between the companies, like missions and visions. And I think that we could do a much better job at the flight squadron group, right? Even the AFMS level, like all aligning a lot of those priorities, especially now as we're facing a lot of competing priorities when it comes to readiness and then normal administrative burden, right? Things that we have to do that are home station requirements, uh, so I think engagement is probably the the biggest challenge right now because I think there's some misalignment with mission and vision. I'd like to point out too, I mean, I agree with you, Chris, but it, I feel like especially now that we're trying to be under one umbrella under the DHA now and they have their mission vision, the ready medical force and the medically ready force, great mission and vision. But like over my seven years now, I've seen... I feel like so many mission vision statements, every base I go to, every match comm I change to, it's just like, wait, what am I doing now? Like, what am I supposed to be focusing on? Like there is the big 50,000 level goal of what we're 
supposed to do and what our end state and mission is. But like at the local level, it changes so much. We just change flights. We change leadership. And sometimes the leadership that comes in says, nope, I need to set my mission and vision for this med group. And so then we have to maybe not completely left turn, but we definitely have to take a little bit of an angle left or right and go, oh, wait, we got to go this way now. And then the next year, the budget changes or something else changes. Oh, we got to go the other direction now. And it, it can be really tough to manage ourselves in that situation, but then try to convince our flights and our people, hey, now we got to do this. And I, I find that definitely difficult. And I don't know how y'all deal with that. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the first step on the roadmap about defining your burning platform, right, is supplying that why, you know, which really ties back to, you know, the mission, what is it that we do here? And if if the mission doesn't survive, doesn't exist and isn't isn't embraced as something that lasts longer than the current commander, you know, like, okay, well, two years, we're going to get a new mission, you know, then it's not a burning platform, then at that point, really, is it right? And the anecdote was about the guy on the oil rig, and there was an explosion and and the whole oil rig is on fire and he jumped and, you know, 300 feet down into the sea. And the question was asked, well, you know, as risky as that was, you know, jumping and falling such a distance into the sea, why did you do that? And it's like, well, there was certain death from fire behind me or I could maybe live if I jumped into the sea. So the decision was was obvious. You know, that's the kind of level of messaging that, you know, that they talk about in the book as as what you need in defining that why is something where, you know, the decision is inevitable because to not follow that path, it means inevitable destruction or doom. Chris, I think I think I would disagree with you slightly uh, about engagement being the most difficult one. And I would say that being energized is one that we also struggle with a lot. And that's one where I think we we talk a lot about the physical, social, spiritual well-being and needing to dedicate time to that. But at the same time, we talk a lot about burnout and doing more with less and things like that, where our culture expects not necessarily rewards, but expects us to burn the candle at both ends and and can really be easy to develop unhealthy behaviors in that regard and neglect those physical and, and social and mental aspects of our well-being. But back to an earlier point with a lot of the folks in our core are flight commanders or element leaders or even squadron commanders where they have a a smaller unit where the issues that are affecting that particular unit based on the the tempo of the wings mission and things like that it may be different ones that are affecting us and so it's important really to look at your team and don't take a one-size-fits-all approach to developing a strong and healthy culture Really look at what your team does well, what they don't do well, and 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 where you really need to apply your effort. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And you know, you mentioned energize, and I try to find that more or less, maybe lack of a better phrase, low hanging fruit, like the easy stuff that you can you can accomplish first to set kind of set those small goals to energize your team. So like one example that I do is, you know, I come into flights new and just to kind of do an icebreaker, whether all the people on my flight have been together already for months or years, I'm the new one still that's coming in, especially after PCS season. And I'll try to do some kind of icebreaker things. Greg might remember this a lot. Chris, too, at my time at Lake and Heath at Topa, I do our morning huddles and I say I tell a really bad dad joke. 
and I kept them on stickies and my whole wall was filled with horrible dad jokes on posted notes. At my current flight right now, we started doing icebreaker questions where we did like each person went around every day and did two truths and a lie. And we got to learn a little bit about our fellow flight mates. We went through everybody and now we're doing would you rather questions just to kind of break away from the monotony of our work for a second and just get to know each other. And, and that for me, that's how I set a little bit of a foundation for bringing my team together to, you know, get them energized, get them engaged, and maybe that will lead to enabling them. So if we all get on the same page with that same foundation. I think everything else can roll a little easier. Aminoj, you mentioned the, we talked about the post-it notes on a previous episode, but I, I think it's a good, uh, those are really good examples of modifying your communication plan as a leader, you know, what you're, what you're instilling or what you're encouraging just based on the, the tenor and the attitudes of the people that you work with and old dogs need to learn new tricks or at least different tricks. It's a little bit of like inception, almost try to get that idea in there that we're one team and we're working together and maybe that will build into some other energizing and enabling ideas that will work well for the team. And then maybe that will kind of be an inception to the other flights that will affect the med group. It's a slow process and we might not see the fruits of our labor while we're stationed at that base, especially for me moving around every one to two years. But I'm hoping that culture that I leave behind stays in some way or fashion that helps that team grow even more after I'm gone. In talking about Topa at Lake and Heath, you know, and don't take this as a personal attack, please. But, you know, you did take over for me. You did take over for me in Topa. And I was I was thinking about one one of the things that we had in the flight when I was there was a symbol, right? And this is something we do a lot in the military. So it was the Topa Tigers. And I remember one of the things was was you and the and the team that you had, right? Which was a lot of new people, right? It was well, let we need to redefine ourselves and you know, throw oh, out man. Topa Tigers <laughs> oh, so and sorry. come up with a a new symbol, right? What was it again? Do you remember? Do you remember? Was it the the dragons or the no 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 titans? The titans. That's right. Well, that and I also got like a Sparta Sparta helmet and used that as our flight award because I guess maybe I thought maybe I couldn't get a real tiger to pass around as an award, so the titan helmet might do. No, again, I mean, I didn't come up with Topa Tigers. It was just, but it was one of those things where you know you and the team were inspired to come up with something of your own as as the current team that you guys could rally behind and that's one of the uh, in the, in this book of uh, short steps that people can take to shake up things in their team and one of them is to adopt a symbol team or company symbols are a way to keep your mission and priorities in front of the employees the object itself can be anything meaningful to the group that's one of the many helpful little things that you know Chris was talking about as concrete actions that you can do that could have an effect you know or maybe it doesn't you have to scrap that and find something new but could have an effect on on the culture of your organization chris uh did you have any of the steps that were at the end of the book that that particularly spoke to you so full disclosure i did not read all of these i didn't necessarily like all of them man i'm over uh, two and asking you questions man i'm sorry <laughs> yeah no it's fine I, that's fine. I, no, that's good though. I did like a lot of them or some of them though. And so I just tried to 
Like, you know, they're bolded, so you can just read like the first thing. So maybe I didn't give it a fair shake. One though in particular was, and I just found it, I was scrolling. So I was kind of buying myself a little time there. So, but one of them was random recognition. I, I really like that. I don't like to wait for quarterly awards or an opportunity to recognize somebody in a, in a formal way. I like to do it on the spot right there. I try to do it in, in front of as many people as I can. Um, and, and actually, a mentor of mine recently had told me that I needed to start to schedule success. And to me, that was like groundbreaking. I was like, holy crap, why haven't I thought of this? Like, he's absolutely right. Schedule success in that you know the things that you need to accomplish and to get done. And so when you accomplish them, even if it's just the first couple of steps, celebrate those. Like celebrate that achievement. Don't let anybody downplay the celebration, like get in there and and really just make a big deal of it. And and that advice came right about the same time that I was reading through this this last part of the book. And so maybe it was just in the forefront of my mind, but I, I thought that those two things kind of played well together. One is not very random if you're scheduling success, but I, I think that those two ideas, giving timely and accurate feedback are, are important to me. Chris, those are great examples of really small things that you can do that can have an impact, which is really what I feel the author's point was at, at the end of the book here is, you know, hey, some of these challenges are big, gnarly, complicated problems that are going to take a while to fix. But there are small things that you can do. Don't feel overwhelmed by the enormity of the issue. I was going to mention also, looking back, uh, send handwritten thank you notes. A shout out to my Kunsan squadron commander, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jernigan. Whenever a person won a quarterly award on any level or did something well that he thought deserved some kind of rendition, he actually wrote thank you cards, handwritten thank you cards, and passed them out to people. When I first got mine for something I did, I was like, I kind of felt touched. I was like, nobody, you know, nobody does this anymore like for him to do it like and give it to his people that was just a little bit in my mind at least a little bit above and beyond that he didn't have to do that i already got the certificate i already got the the hardware but to get that felt a little bit more special and helped me really appreciate what he thought about me and what my actions were it was it was really touching yeah it sounds like something that really made an impact when i was on the acc staff the uh, general banister did that a lot too she wrote a lot of little thank you notes just one tiny story, which is, is, is kind of fun and gross at the same time. So when I was at ACCA, when I went there to, for the readiness fellowship, we had just moved back into the old surgeon general's building. So for like three years, they were in temporary buildings, but then the summer that I PCS there, they moved back into the original building after the renovation was completed, but they're, you know, we're still some some kinks that need to be worked out. One of the things that was a problem was the the plumbing. And so the sewer line occasionally would back up. And one time it got really bad and actually, you know, tons and tons of water, lots and lots and lots of backup in the basement. And it was one of those, it happened on a Friday and you know, so there's a lot of the staff was already gone for the day. And so there were like six or seven of us that were there and, you know, had to go down there and pick up who water 
and toilet paper and like all the things that you can imagine. I imagine, I imagine you can imagine quite a few things. And, and we were all there to include General Bannister. She was down there too, scooping, scooping stuff with the rest of us. Right. And afterwards, everybody who was part of that cleanup crew, right. She had bought little squishy stress ball, stress balls with the poop emoji and written everybody a thank you note and uh you know thanking us for being part of the poo crew and um and i just that was just one of those things where you know a i i appreciated that she was there with us doing stuff too and you know anybody who knows general banister knows that that's the type of person that she is anyway but also that she took the time afterwards to say like hey you know i recognize that that was a pretty crappy job and so you know here's a here's a short thank you note but the real question is, what dimmer's eye code did you use for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, being on question. staff, we don't fill out. We don't fill oh, out time cards. Dang it. Oh. We're not in the MTF. God, so jealous. Excellent job working that pun in there at the end. But oh, hold on, Chris. I think if if I was going to fill out a dimmer's eye code, it would probably be E W W W though. <laughs> <laughs> It could have been C R A P. It could have been S H I. Whatever. It could have been. Well, but the codes are A B E and G. Oh, for the most part, right. A B E F G. So you know, I wanted to follow the uh, the syntax of of Demers I, the language of Demers I. Uh, M- Manoj, can I just make one recommendation? Can we have poo water in the cold open? Just I just want to hear I just want to hear the word poo water in our cold open. That's all that's it. I'm not a complicated man. You know, that story is is a great example though of one of the tenets in the book. And that's share everything. And I think that the general really got down in there and was doing her share of the task and sharing the experience with you guys. That was a really great story, though, and it sounds like it was a very impactful experience for you as well as a leader looking forward and to say, you know, that is the kind of leadership that we know that we expect of ourselves or we we say that, you know, we should be leading from the front. But when do we actually see it when there's a situation that's like that? Hey, one little add on to the poo water story, and it's not just an opportunity to say poo water a few more times, that poop emoji. You know, it was a stress ball, but inside it had like a couple different textures of things on the inside. And, you know, so there were, uh, there were like kind of harder pieces of corn uh, like, no. <laughs> inside of it. It made it, you know, it was a sensory, uh, it was a sensory experience to use it as a stress ball. Oh, wow. I, I don't know that we can recover from that. So if you've not read the book, Highly recommend it, regardless of what Greg and Manoj have said. Manoj's opinion doesn't count right now. It's not popular or unpopular until he finishes the book, but I highly recommend the book. To clarify, though, I recommend the book. I think it's a good read. Did it change my life? No, but it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. I I made it all the way to the end, you know, which (laughs) is more than some people can say. I got 30 pages in. Hold on. I did, like, not read it. I got... The quote that Chris said at the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Okay, but in all fairness, you're not the first person not to finish a book. So the SGA application window had recently closed. Greg, I believe you may have been eligible for that. Yeah. Did you submit an application? Yeah, Chris, I did put in an application for SGA and submitted that a couple of weeks ago. And 
the application itself is rather it's there isn't much to it it's just you know do i want to be considered for an sga or do opportunity yes no and then one free text box to talk about my overall career plans where i threw in a couple sentences about i have some experience in different facilities working with sister services i think i would be well suited to work larger clinic or a you know a market office joint base environment and from a family perspective you know we're interested in in a place that you know that we can stay at maybe pca you know like something where with you know lots of military opportunities versus you know one base in one location something like a san antonio or a dc or something like that where you have potential to stick around for a while i got one kiddo that's about to hit high school so i did put in an application you know we'll we'll see what the dt comes up with and uh, but i'm looking forward to the results okay one more question about this so i'm curious about the process a little bit like some of the behind the scenes stuff like when i was preparing for and applying for an AFIT, and i'm sure ewe's fellowships are probably the same but i i don't know if a position like this is the same i spent i don't want to say a lot of time but right you spend some time you call the associate corps chief you speak to your local leadership your commander you let them know of your intent you talk to the sga or location if there is one that's a standalone sga or if the commander's dual hatting then you know you'll just speak to them a lot of times you'll reach out to to folks that maybe you've worked with in the past, or did you take similar efforts as you were applying for this, like to help you prepare for the board, like speaking to mentors? What was what, what did that process look like? Because I think that, at least for me, I think that that's just as important as, say, the stuff on the paper that goes to the DT. There's also the sort of preparing yourself and getting that feedback from people to say, hey, is this the right time? Uh, what, what do we say? The right person at the right time and getting an understanding of that feedback if if maybe you are on target. Yeah. You know, I would say definitely over the past couple of years, ever since uh, coming back to the States, you just had a lot more opportunities, I think, to network at various events, you know, where there's a lot of other MSC officers there. And, you know, it's a pretty frequent question, you know, well, hey, you know, what are you doing right now? What's next for you? So, you know, I've been kind of letting people know it's been my intent to apply for SGA for some time. So, you know, that's the way that I've been phrasing it to people. So I don't think anybody would be surprised by hearing, oh yeah, Taylor applied for SGA. But as far as deliberate actions for this particular board, I did so I, because I'm in a staff job right now, I'm the only MSC officer, at least working in a in an MSC capacity. Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Gassman is at AFSENT now as well, but he's uh, an exec officer, so uh, he's not doing MSC things. Anyway, so I'm I'm the only one. I don't have a on-site individual to go to, but you know we do. We are subordinate to ACC, so I did reach out to Colonel Williford in the ACC and talked with him. I sent him, you know, my last few OPRs and some of my intent so that he could take a look at my record and, you know, a lot of the things that are going to, that the DT is going to be able to see just so that he could give me some advice on, you know, maybe what would be a, a good opportunity for me, whether I'd be competitive uh, with the DT at all. So I, I started with Colonel Williford, talked with him. He gave me a lot of really good feedback. And uh, he's the one who actually got me kind of thinking too about just some plan B options. Like, okay, well, if SGA doesn't work out for whatever reason, you know, what else do you want to do? And up until that point, I was kind of like, well, you know, I'm 90, 95% sure I want to go SGA route. And I really hadn't thought about if that doesn't work out, you know, what if I'm just not a good fit at any of the locations? 
mean, which could happen, right? Anyway, so he got me thinking about that. And then after I talked with him, and again, he gave me some positive feedback, he recommended that I apply. And then I reached out to Colonel Allen, who's the associate court chief for readiness. And she had just, she just gotten the seat up there at DHHQ. So I just sent her a note, uh, hey, you know, I know you're new up there, ma'am, getting settled still, but I'd like to chat with you prior to the DT, just so that you know what my intent is. Uh, and I, I hadn't met or really spoken with her at all previous to this, because Colonel Smythe was the associate court chief uh, up until earlier this year. So when I specialty matched and when I did my readiness fellowship, I met with Colonel Smythe a few times, but uh, never with Colonel Allen. Anyway, so... I did finally get an opportunity to sit down with her and and just gave her a little bit of, you know, hey, here's who I am. This is what I'm interested in. And, you know, it was really good. And she she was thankful that I reached out to her prior to the DT so that she had a little background in case she was asked any questions. Because I don't know, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I imagine, you know, it's tough going into that first DT as an associate core chief, you know, when you're new to that job and it's like, and you don't know everybody that's specialty matched to your career field yet because you haven't met them all yet. That's got to be kind of an uncomfortable place to be. So uh, I think that may be why she was kind of thankful that I took the time to reach out. But that was really my process was just to meet with my SGA, meet with the associate core chief and let them know really what I was interested in so that, you know, your record kind of speaks for yourself, right? You're going to get selected largely on that. But if someone needs to give a personal testimonial as to, you know, hey, what's what's this Taylor guy about? Or would he be a good fit for this particular job? Having a couple people in the room who met you is a plus. That, that was my process. Uh, you know, there's probably multiple ways to do that, but it was good. It was informative. Uh, I'm glad I did it. Glad I reached out and had those conversations because I really got a lot out of that from from both the colonels. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That was really great insight. And I do appreciate you sharing the informal process that we go through when we apply to a lot of these things. Because we, I, I think we can focus a lot on the, the formal aspect, right? The paperwork, the documents, but we don't really maybe necessarily talk as much about the informal process. So, so thanks for, for sharing a lot of that. One thing that I'll, I'll add is it does feel a little bit weird to just kind of cold call or cold email some of these folks, especially, you know, if you've never met them up until that point. So for anyone who's curious, you know, I started out with Colonel Allen, you know, I, I just sent her an email and it was just, hi, I'm Greg Taylor. I'm one of your readiness planners. You know, I'm emailing you because uh, I'm interested in applying for SGA at this next DT. And I wanted to take an opportunity to introduce myself to you and get any feedback that you might have on the process. And I'm happy to provide you with any information from my record that you may be interested in reviewing prior to the DT. And then, you know, if you're interested in meeting, here's a couple of times that you know, that I'm available and, you know, please let me know your availability and I'll set up a meeting. Yeah, that's really good to hear because, well, I think we all know what Chris is going to specialize in. So that's easy. And he already knows his people. But like for me, like I'm still not sure, but having to reach out to these higher ups and associate court chiefs and in other situations, other people of higher rank. And I'm like, how do I network this? How do I introduce myself? And it's just like, you know, like you mentioned a cold call or cold email, like, hey, it's me. Like, 
just want to say hi. I'm introducing myself and I'm interested in RMO or whatever. But hearing these stories just kind of gets you over that fear a little bit. I'm trying to think if I was up there, I would be happy. I would be like, oh, yeah, no, that thanks for introducing yourself. Thanks for taking the time to reach out and let's, let's talk and meet it. I would be very receptive to that. So I try to put myself in that position and go, oh, wait, I mean, I think I would be OK getting that email. So I should be comfortable sending it to some extent. Yeah, it's important to take deliberate action to, you know, kind of move your career in the in the way that you you would like it to go. So what locations are available? Great question. Great question. <laughs> TBD, my friend. No, I think they took the approach this year of, you know, if you're interested in being an SGA, you just have to be all in. Speaking hey, of a which, plug. that's a plug for the book, isn't it? <laughs> Speaking of which, all in. <laughs> Excellent timing. All right, so how about book choice for episode six? I'm really on the fence. We only have four books left. So the four books that we have left are Call Sign Chaos, My Own Words by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, The Ordinary Leader, Sun Tzu's Art of Leadership, and then Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. And I'm going to go with the last one, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. I've read... Call Sign Chaos already. I have not read the other three. And honestly, I'm mostly curious about the title because I think it's interesting that they put act like a leader before think like a leader. And I'm wondering if that's intentional. So I'm curious to learn about that to see if there's some sort of intent to that. Act like a leader, think like a leader that may be like, fake it till you make it. Yeah. It, and that's what I'm saying. It, it might be very intentional that that, that it was put that way. So- That'll be the next, that'll be episode six. Uh, And then I just want to make a quick plug. This episode will be released the week that I will be at D-Hits. So if any of our listeners out there, if any of my fellow sharks will be attending D-Hits, please come find me. I would love to say hi and meet you, talk about the podcast, talk about anything else, anything D-Hits, IT related. Yeah, come find me. I'll be there. You you just want to sign autographs. Where's the D-Hits conference at? I've got Orlando every year. I've got to get like little, like maybe some headshots. <laughs> we got like headshots made. <laughs> we should do. It's going to be one of those moments though, like uh, <laughs> some of those influencer videos that are out there about these people who have like 500,000 followers, but they're all bots. And so then they do like yeah. a signing and nobody shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find, because you know, at these conferences, they normally have like a, you know, show, a show, like the floor, right? Where all the vendors are. I'm going to see if I can find an empty table. And I'm going to have somebody just video me sitting at the empty table. Like, here he is. At the, here's the signing, the celebrity meetup. There it is. And there's just nobody there. Was, Thank you for tuning in to episode five of the Seat 41A podcast. We appreciate you, our listeners, for tuning in every month. No, but seriously, we, we do want to say thanks for thanks for taking the time to listen and and give us sharing your feedback. So please continue posting that feedback on Facebook, sending us messages um, and checking us out. We we truly appreciate it. Uh, and stay tuned for next month's episode. And from all of us here to all of you there, have a great evening. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Manoj Rima. Marketing and IT, Christopher Foote. And director and outreach, Greg Taylor.